Hello everyone, Stephen James here. Welcome to the Story Blender, the place where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now, 2020 was a difficult year for many of us, and I'm looking forward to the experiences, the memories, the stories that 2021 will bring. I thought that today we would listen to some stories instead of doing the typical interview with a gifted storyteller. So we are going to listen to four stories today, three that were recorded live with uh, children in the audience from back in the days before I started writing novels when I was still traveling around as a family entertainer and children's storyteller. And a special closing story from a friend of mine, Bob Stromberg, who was kind enough to give us his permission to include it on today's episode. So these will be some fun, family-friendly stories for you and your children to enjoy. Back in the day, I was a performing artist for something called the Wolf Trap Residencies when I would travel around and teach educators on how to use storytelling in the arts in their classrooms. Well, at the time, I found a wolf puppet. Now, this wolf puppet and I have traveled all over the world telling stories to children. His name is Jedder the Wolf, uh, and my daughter, when I had the wolf, I had asked her what I should name the wolf, and she said, well, Jedrick. I was like, okay, well, he'll be Jedder for short. Then she came up to me later and said, oh, I meant Frederick, but I was like, it's too late. He's now Jedder the wolf. So the antics of Jedder and myself might not be as evident on an audio recording, but at least you can hear the children as they watch the wolf puppet and as they listen to the story that I tell with him, in this case, a very famous folk tale told with a little bit of a twist. Jenner, I thought today we could do one of my uh, favorite stories. It's a, it's a very famous, famous story. It's a story about a 10-year-old girl. Now, in this story, there's this girl. and she... What's going on? Nothing. Okay, good. So there's this girl who's 10 years old. Now, she lives with her... She lives with... She lives with her... The girl lives with her mother. All right. There's a 10-year-old girl, and she lives with her mother. And the girl's name is Delicious. What? No. No, her name is Melinda Meldicious. No, listen. Say it with the Mel, Mel, Lynn, Linda, dishes. No. Now the girl wears this red cape around all the time, and it's got this red hood. They called her Little Red Riding Snack. No, no. Little Red Riding Hood. Say it. Little Fried Riding Snack. No. Now one day, one day her mother came up to her and said, You look delicious. No, she didn't. Her mother came up to her and said, Melinda, 
I would like you to take this basket of lamb chops, right? To your grandmother who lives by herself in the deep, dark forest. Okay, mom. But there are two things that you must remember. Number one, always look both ways before crossing the street. What? That's not what she told her. She said, number one, stay on the main path. Don't go off the main path through the poison ivy. Right, right. And the second rule is, don't talk to wolves. What? Don't talk to wolves. That's the rule? Yeah. What kind of a rule is that? That's, That's a good rule. You're not supposed to talk to wolves. You talk to wolves. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, she wasn't supposed to win the story. And she said, all right, Mom. Then she left, and she went outside and began to walk along the trail, singing her Little Red Riding walking song. A Little Red Riding walking song? Yes. A riding walking song? Yes. It went like this. I'm taking goodies to my grandma, grandma. I'm taking goodies to my grandma's house. Cha-cha-cha. Look, Jenner, why don't you try singing it? Okay. I'm taking goodies to my grandma, grandma. I'm getting eaten by my grandma's mouse. What? And as she was walking along the path, suddenly someone stepped out of the forest. Do you know who it was? Yup. Are you sure? Yup. Are you positive? Yup. Who was it? I have no idea. (laughs) Cheddar, it was the big bad wolf dressed up like Spider-Man. What? Look, he was not dressed up like Spider-Man wearing a skin-tight, form-fitting, polyester, crime-fighting jumpsuit. He he was not wearing a skin-tight, form-fitting, polyester, crime-fighting jumpsuit. He was naked. Stop it. Look, he was wearing fur, a fur coat, right, mink, no, his own fur coat, okay, where did he buy it, Walmart, listen, the wolf stepped up to her and said, you look, no, he didn't, the wolf said, where are you going, little girl, I'm going to my grandma's house, oh, then take the shortcut over there, through the poison ivy, And she did. And then the wolf ran ahead of her on the path. And he got to the door and he knocked on the door. And he said, little pig, little pig, let me come in. Or I'll huff and I'll puff by the hair on your chin. What are you talking about? What do you mean hair on your chin? It was grandma's house. Like I said, hair on your chin. Listen. You got the story mixed up anyhow. Oh, sorry. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your long hair. I see under your arm, and it's hanging down there. No! Look, that's that's the wrong story. He knocked on the door, and Grandma said, Who is it? It's me, Little Fried Riding Snack. So Grandmother opened the door. The wolf grabbed her, stuck her into the closet, took her own nightgown, put it on himself, and he waited in the bed. And soon, here came Little Red Riding Hood walking along the trail, singing her song. 
I'm taking goodies to my grandma, grandma. My great big grandma has a great big blouse. What are you talking about? <laughs> and she knocked on the door. Come in, little red riding snack. No. Put, oh yeah. She walked in and she saw the wolf dressed up like grandmother and she said, Oh my grandmother, what big ears you have. All the better to clean out with a cotton swab, my dear. But grandma, what a big furry body you have. All the better to get fleas and flies and lice with, my dear. Uh. But grandma, what a big floppy tail. All the better to get rid of them flies with, my dear. But grandmother, what a big ugly, watch it, dude. Hey. I mean, a big furry snout you have. Oldie better to smell them lamb chops with, my dear. And grandma, what big fangy teeth you have. Oldie better to eat you up with, my dear. And he ate her up, and the lamb chops, and the grandma, and the mama, and everybody else. The end. No, 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 no. That, that's, not how it, that's not how it goes. The wolf leaped out to grab her, but suddenly there was a knock at the door, and there was someone at the door. Do you know who it was? Yahoo! Spider-Man! No! It, it, was, it was not Spider-Man. In some versions, it was the woodcutter. But in our version, it was the mother. And she opened the door, and she came inside, and she grabbed the wolf. And she took the nightgown off him and threw him outside. Ah! But no, come on. He had his coat on, his fur coat, right. And she gave the gra grandmother back her nightgown. And then moved the grandmother from the deep, dark forest to live with them down in the house. And they all had lamb chops and celebrated. And the wolf when searching throughout the forest for small furry woodland creatures to eat, and everyone lived happily ever after. When I was a kid, I always loved turtles. I had pet turtles of my own for many years, and this is one of the first stories that I ever made up back in 1988. Started to tell to children at the time. It's called the Shell Slide. Every year, in the spring of the year, the animals would wake up, they would stretch out their right front legs and their left front legs, their right hind legs, left hind legs, tuck out their tails and stretch out their necks. And all the turtles would do it and then they would swim to shore. And they would get in line at the bank of the river behind the other turtles. Because every year in the spring of the year, the turtles would have a great contest called the Turtle Olympics. <laughs> and it had one event in the Turtle Olympics called the Shell Slide. The turtles would climb up the bank, and there was a rock there they called the Top Rock. Then the turtles would climb on top of the Top Rock, and they would rock back and forth and back and forth and back and forward onto a long mudslide leading all the way down to the to the water and there was a tire there left over from Mr. McGregor's car when he drove into the pond. They would bounce off the tire and fly over the pond like a ski jumper. <laughs> and pulling all of their legs, hit the water with a splash on their stomach and the water would spray up. The turtle with the biggest splash and the loudest noise would win the Turtle Olympics. And so this year, a little turtle named Tommy woke up and swam to the surface. He stretched out his right front leg and his left front leg his right hind leg and his left hind leg tucked out his tail, but he didn't have to stretch out his neck, for Tommy the turtle had spent all of the winter with his head already out of his shell on a rock for a pillow. 
because Tommy the turtle was afraid of the dark. And if you're a turtle and you're afraid of the dark, you can never go into your shell. And so this year, Tommy said, this year, this year, I'm going to win the Turtle Olympics. He swam ashore. He got in line behind the other turtles. The line took forever, probably because they were all turtles. <laughs> and eventually, he made it to the top rock. He climbed on top. He rocked forward and back, forward and back, forward, onto the mudslide. He was going down, grass and gravel flying past his face. He hit the tires, flying over the pond. <laughs> Pulled in his right front leg and his left front leg, his right hind leg, his left hind leg, tucked up his tail. But he just couldn't pull his head in his shell. He did a perfect dive in the water. Hardly a ripple, no splash at all. All the older turtles, they all shook their heads. Poor Tommy. He's afraid of the dark. Poor Tommy. He practiced all that day and the next day as well. Now, there was a great big turtle who lived at the pond named Biff. Biff was bigger than all the other turtles combined. He was a big, soft-shelled turtle. He wasn't too bright. <laughs> He'd won the shell slide the last four years. And he would climb up, stepping on the other turtles. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. He'd trip over the top rock, bounce, boing, 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 fly over the bottom. <laughs> Pulling all of his legs, his tail, his head. Bam! He'd hit the water with a splash. Water would spray up. You could have heard it 500 feet away. And Tommy practiced and practiced, but every time he did a dive into the water until it was the night before the Turtle Olympics. And he said, I'll be the last one to practice tonight before we have the Turtle Olympics tomorrow. He swam to shore, climbed up the bank to the top rock, and then he noticed that the sun had set, the moon was rising, but it was dark at the pond, and no turtles ever did the shell slide in the dark. For if you hit the tire wrong, you wouldn't fly out over the pond but you might fly up into a tree somewhere, 30 feet up there. Uh-oh. And that's not a good place for a turtle to be. And so Tommy said, I'll just be the first one to go tomorrow. And he sat there and he put his head on the top rock for a pillow and he began to sing a song to himself that he always sang to help himself not be so afraid. And he said, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid, no. I'm not afraid, no. I'm really afraid of the dark. <laughs> and then the night sounds came alive. There was the owl. Help me out with the owl. There was the wind. There were the frogs. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. There were the crickets, chirp, 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 snoring turtles. And the night sounds got louder, louder owls, louder wind, louder frogs, louder crickets, chirp, 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 louder snoring. Until suddenly it was silent at the pond. Tommy looked up from the top rock. Far below him, he could see a shadowy creature running toward the edge of the pond. And he knew right away what it was. A raccoon. And raccoons, like nothing more than to find turtles, drag them into the forest and eat them. 
And when Tommy was a little baby turtle, his mother had warned him, now, Tommy, if you ever see a raccoon, you hide in your shell, you promise. Okay, Mama. But now Tommy realized he wasn't in any danger, for the raccoon couldn't see him. He was up behind the top rock. But all of his friends and family were sleeping on the edge of the pond. Tommy had to warn them. He was the only one awake. But he was too small of a turtle to run all the way down the bank, and he had too small of a voice to yell out to warn them. In an instant, Tommy knew what he had to do. He climbed on top of the top rock, began to rock back and forth and back and forth and back and forward. I'm not afraid of the dark. He went on to the mudslide, streaming down faster than ever before. He was doing the shallow slide in the dark. Grass and gravel flying past his face. I'm not afraid of the dark. He hit the tire. He was flying over the pond. I'm not afraid. No, he pulled in his right front leg and his left front leg. I'm not afraid. He pulled in his left hind leg and his right hind leg, tucked in his tail. I'm not afraid of the dark. He pulled his head in. He hit the water with a splash. Water sprayed into the trees. You could have heard it 851 feet away. All the turtles woke up. They swam into the middle of the pond. They said, who did the shell slide? Had to be Biff. They looked Biff still sleeping. They woke him up. And that raccoon, when he heard that shell slide, he said, ah, He took off just like that. Boom, he was gone. He was never seen at the pond again. Not once, not ever. And all the turtles said, who did the shell? Then they saw Tommy's head poke out the water. They said, oh, it was Tommy. He's a hero. They put him on Biff's back. He looked like a little wart back there. Began to swim around the lake, all the turtles singing, Hey ho, the pond is safe. Tommy is the bravest turtle in the state. Hey ho, the pond is safe. Tommy is the bravest turtle in the state. And the next day at the Turtle Olympics, who do you think won the Turtle Olympics? No, actually, Biff, Biff always won. But uh, Tommy got 17th out of 11,004 turtles, and that ain't bad. <laughs> and they gave him a special award that day, though, for doing the shell slide in the dark. And as Tommy went up to get his award, all those other turtles stood up and gave him a standing ovation, which is not easy for turtles to do. And they put the award around his neck, and Tommy went back to take his seat. And I'm not certain if Tommy the turtle lived happily ever after. But I do know that from then on, he was never again afraid of the dark. Back in 1996, when I was pursuing my master's degree in storytelling, we put together a special show for children all throughout our area here in eastern Tennessee. And we each developed a special story for that program. This is the one that I came up with. It's called The Bog Waddle. When I grew up as a kid, I was in the fifth and sixth grade, I remember that I lived on the end of a dead-end street, actually partway down a dead-end street. And on the end of the dead-end street, there was a bog. A bog is like a swamp or a marsh. This was a deep bog, a dark bog. A mucky bog. We called it the mucky bog. And there were stories about a creature that lived in the mucky bog called the bog waddle. 
Now, I remember when I was in the sixth grade, they brought university professors from the University of Wisconsin to test and to measure and to search for the bog bottle. They didn't find any proof that he was real or that he wasn't. But uh, the kids in our neighborhood, we all knew he was real. And my neighbor that lived on the edge of the bog, Joe... Joe and his wife, Linda, they knew the bog waddle was real. We would sit there on Joe's porch. Linda made a great apple pie, and we would eat apple pie in the evenings, and he would tell us about the bog waddle. We'd say, Joe, Joe, have you ever seen it? Seen it? Seen it? Never the whole thing at once. A back here, a flipper there, fin sticking up out of the bog. But I've smelled it. Woo! Whoa, baby. That's nasty. Well, Joe... What does it look like? Look like? Look like? It's 35 feet long, 8 feet high. It's got five flippers on every side. Leathery, slimy, smooth gray skin. Its eyes are the size of a bowling pin. Its mouth is as big as the trunk of a car. Listening white teeth like a shark. He's like a grandpa on a 12-year-old's body. I'm like, how'd you do that? You're pretty cool. You should be a rap singer. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I said, Joe. Joe. Where does it come from? Come from? Well, it crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bottom of the mucky bog. You want to try that with me? It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bottom of the mucky bog. Turn to the person next to you. Bog. Well, Joe, Joe, what does it eat? What does it eat? Well, most folks say it eats little kids. That are in the fourth and fifth grade. But I'm not sure what it eats. I'm going to find out. And that was Joe's quest. He'd always walk off into the bog singing. It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bottom of the mucky bog. And then he started dressing up like different foods to see if he could fool the bog waddle into chasing him. Remember, he dressed up like a pepperoni pizza. He glued pepperonis all over his body. He went crawl, walking up into the bog. Crawl from the bottom of the mucky bog. One day, he dressed up like a salad. Flew little croutons all over his body. <laughs> I didn't do it either. The day I remember most, though, was the day that Joe dressed up like a banana. Had a yellow rain slicker on, yellow rain pants on. He smeared banana guts all up over his body. And he went off under the bog singing, It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bottom of the mucky bog. He came back a little while later, crawled from the bottom of the mucky bog. He hadn't had any success once again. And now, Linda had been asking him for months to fix the shingles up on the roof. And this day, Joe must have decided it was time to do it. And he decided to do it before changing out of his banana wardrobe. So while he was still dressed up like a banana, he got a long bungee cord and he tied it to the back end of his car and flipped it up over the roof to the back side of the house. Then he tied the other end around his waist. And he kind of cinched it up tight so he could sit on the roof and, and had the bungee cord, like a stretchy rope, went up over the roof down to the car on the other side. 
And he started playing with it, kind of. He had, in one hand, he had a hammer, and the other nails, he was going to, and he was kind of jumping off the roof, back, whoa, cool. <laughs> he started throwing things off the roof so he could jump down to the ground, bounce back up, pick him up again. <laughs> cool. He started dropping apples off head first. Ah, oh. <laughs> a little too far there. And he was hammering and he was singing. Ready? It crawled from the bottom. It crawled from the bottom. It crawled from the bottom of the mucky bar. And that's when Linda came outside. She didn't know Joe was on the roof, and she didn't know that he was attached to bungee cord, and she didn't know that the bungee cord was attached to the back of her car. But it was time for choir practice, and Linda was never late for anything. She got into the car. I remember yelling out, No, Linda! But she didn't hear me. She had the windows rolled up. She started the engine. I said, Joe, untie the rope. He's like, cool from the, huh? All of a sudden, he saw that bungee cord stretch and tight. uh-oh. <laughs> he grabbed hold of the antenna. The antenna's bending over like this. He's holding on the end of it like this. It's pulling him. And finally, he snapped off of that roof, shot off there faster than I've ever seen anyone shoot off a roof attached to a bungee cord on a moving vehicle before. By that time, Linda was halfway down the block. She came to the edge of the street. Joe shot in front of her like this. He's coming back at her 900 miles an hour. Here she is sitting in the car. She sees her husband dressed up like a banana. She freaked out. She hit the car in the reverse. She started going backwards, started going forward, backwards. She didn't know what she's doing. Joe, he's picking up steam each time. Backward, forward, backward, forward. All the neighbors come out. He's like a ping pong ball. Joe's like a ping pong ball. Joe's like a ping pong ball. What's going to happen next? Boom. She backed up into the barricade that separated the road from the bog. And Joe, <laughs> smack dab into the middle of the bog. Disappeared. Tommy and I are running down there. We run up. There's Linda holding on the steering wheel like this. Those fingerprints were still embedded in the steering wheel eight years later when they sold the car. He said, are you right? Uh-huh, where's Joe? We looked into the bog. We could see some big waves moving through the bog. All of a sudden, we said, Linda, hit the gas. She hit the gas, spun the tires. All of a sudden, boop, this banana-flavored missile comes shooting up out of the bog. It's Joe. He's still holding on to that hammer. And there's bungee cord wrapped around the tree. He's hanging from the tree like this, hammer in his hand. And attached to the hammer, on the end of the hammer, is something long, slimy, and gray. It was the lower lip of the bog wall. And Joe's saying, I knew it was bananas. I knew it was bananas. That night, as we were eating some apple pie over there on Joe and Linda's porch, she told us what it was like to fly off the roof and to fly underneath the bog and to be under the bog and see the bog waddle, a huge old bog waddle coming after him, slurp onto his arm. But then he said, but then Linda hit the gas. I'm going to let you drive from now on. Oh, thank you, Joe. Lurched me out of the bog. And that bog waddle's lip, it stretched about 12, 15 feet underneath the bog before it snapped off, attached to Joe's hammer. Well, the last I heard, Joe and Linda moved up to Scotland somewhere, bought 600 pounds of bananas and 942 feet of bungee cord. Last I heard, he was exploring some lake up there, looking for something else. 
But if you go back to my street where I grew up and you listen to the kids, they'll still tell you stories about the bogwattle because they still know it's there. Although now it's angry because it has only one lip. And it's looking for someone named Joe who smells and looks an awful lot like a giant banana. And the kids in the neighborhood will still, if you ask them, sing, It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bog. It crawled from the bottom of the lucky bog. And now for our final story. This comes to us from Bob Stromberg, one of the most gifted comics and storytellers that I know. Bob encouraged me early in my career, and I'm super excited that he gave us permission to share his story called Mickey and the Mermaids, a bit of a coming-of-age story of the summer when he turned 13. I went with my Californian cousins to Disneyland. I may have been the first in my town to go there. Maybe, maybe the first in all of northern Pennsylvania, for all I knew. People from our parts didn't travel much. A trip to Disneyland was a big deal in 1965. I suppose it still is, but back then, Disney World was six years from opening, and Disneyland, Walt's original dream, was still one of a kind. Walt himself kept a little apartment on the second floor of the fire station just inside the main gate. And it was not unusual to see him, Walt Disney, strolling down Main Street greeting his guests. Like most American kids, I watched Walt Disney Presents every Sunday night, so I was familiar with many scenes around the park, and what I'd not seen, I imagined well. I was 12 years old, only days from turning 13, as evidenced by uh, these pictures. In one, I stand in my madras hat with Mickey Mouse shaking his white glove, feeling a little silly, knowing I might be too old for my level of excitement. In another... Two mermaids lay sunning on the rock of a serene lagoon, apparently unaware that I'm photographing their alluring scaly forms from the skyride gondola floating high above. I remember viewing the process slide for the first time and being really disappointed that the mermaids appeared to be so far away. I recalled capturing them in my viewfinder. I remembered focusing the lens so carefully. Believe me, I had them. They were right there. I rode the sky ride a lot that day. The ticket taker knew my name. On one of my flights, I was stunned to find the mermaids gone. I peered deep into the coral green. A fleet of gray submarines followed a rail around the lagoon. And, and there, right, right there beside the sub, I saw one swimming, porpoise-like, only more attractive than any porpoise I'd ever envisioned. Even from so high, I could see she was beautiful. I had to get on that sub for a closer look. My cousin Peter rode the gondola in the seat across from me. He was a year younger. He stretched his chubby frame to look over the handrail, dangling spit from his lips. It, it was a game he'd nearly perfected. The idea was to let the spit 
stretched toward the ground a few inches, maybe as many as four or five, and then suck it back in before it fell onto the tourists below. Unsuccessful in his last attempt, he jerked his head back in the gondola and slumped down as far as the safety bar would allow. Oh, jeez, he howled in laughter. I, I think I got that lady bad. Hey, Pete, you want to try that submarine ride? I said casually. Nah, look at the line. It's, it's clear over to the Matterhorn. Let's do this some more. So we took another ride across. This time, from a distance, I could see the creatures were back. Tail fins flapping playfully, bodies glistening in the late afternoon sun. When we were directly above them, the gondola stopped for about a minute, swinging slowly back and forth. I did not know for certain that it was an answer to prayer. It may have been a coincidence. Either way, I took the opportunity to snap a picture. I looked at my cousin. He was about a year from sharing my interests. I think I'll try that sub, I suggested again. I always wanted to ride one. You coming or not? For a little over an hour, and as we neared the front of the line, I peered toward the outcropping of rock where the mermaids lived. They were gone. This either meant they'd punched their time cards and blended into the mostly human park populace, or perhaps they were back in the water. At the front of the line, we squeezed through the turnstile and descended the stairs into one of the eight subs circling the lagoon. Ours was called Nautilus. I grabbed the first tiny seat, flipped it down, peered out my porthole into the coral reef, possessing beauty only Disney and God could create. Slowly, the sub began to move. We heard loud sonar pings and the voice of our captain. Let me be the first to welcome you to the port of Rainbow Ridge, the gateway to the wonderland of the sea. Please keep your hands and arms in the submarine. The fish get mighty hungry. My cousin, looking through his own window, said, Oh, cool. Look at that big fish. It looks almost real. I heard, hardly heard their words. I shoved my nose against the tiny window and tried to look right or left, but my breath kept condensing on the cold glass. Crabs, spiny lobster, a large grouper, a giant squid, and then more sonar pings. Now ahead of us, folks, is a seaweed forest. The submarine's pressurized atmosphere sometimes gets to you and makes tangles of seaweed take on strange shapes like fish and maybe even mermaids. I shoved my face against the glass. No mermaids. The captain droned on. Now we're going deep into the ocean to view a dazzling maritime graveyard. A mournful sound filled the submarine echoing my fading hopes. There, my friends, is the saddest sound of the ocean, Captain said. That is the song of the humpback whale. He talked the entire time, but peering deeply into the ocean depths, beneath polar caps and past Neptune's sputtering paint pots, I heard little. After seven or eight minutes, he said, Well, I can see we're once again approaching the Rainbow Ridge, and we'll now begin our ascent. You may need to pop your ears. I'd seen the subs from the sky, so I knew we'd not descended, but now my heart sunk deeply. This was our last day, 
My cousin would never agree to wait in line again, and we couldn't stay on for another ride. We, we tried that twice at Pirates of the Caribbean and been told by a human pirate that we ought not to try it again if we hope to live another day. He let out a laugh and a loud arg. You really do not want to mess with me. You understand, don't you? That seemed a bit harsh for one of Walt's employees, but yes, we understood. I was about to pull away from my porthole when I saw a splash of bubbles and something swimming toward me. I cupped my hands goggle-like around my eyes and tight against the glass. Yes, (laughs) it was a mermaid. She swam to my window, reoriented her body vertically, smiled, and blew me a kiss. Graceful bubbles escaped her lovely lips as I felt my face flush. She was an exquisite specimen. Her scales glimmering rainbow colors and the refracted coral light modestly covered her partially human form. She ascended slowly toward the surface and I took her in fully. Thick flowing hair, tanned human skin, dark eyes, two large frustratingly effective clamshells and luminescent scales flashing tiny dots of light on the palms of my hands. She was only inches beyond my face. Then with one flip of her impossibly long tail, she was gone. My camera hung around my neck, but I never thought to take a picture. Instead, I had experienced the moment. The sub stopped and the captain thanked us. I hope you've enjoyed your trip into the wonderland of the sea. Please lift your seat as a courtesy to our next guests. My cousin said, cool. I looked at him and realized he'd not seen her. The portholes were too small. The the glass too thick, and of course there was that oddity of refracted light. Only I'd seen her smile, felt her kiss, and gazed upon her lithe, sparkling form. She was mine alone. Twenty years later, and 3,000 miles away, I sat around a New England meal with my wife Judy and our closest friends. I shared my siren tale. Laughing, my buddy said, What a great picture of that peculiar passage from boyhood to being a man. Our son turned 13 last week. I opened his dresser drawer the other day. On one side were his Legos, and on the other side, his shaving cream and razor. I suspect it was something like that for us all. For me, it was Mickey on one side and mermaids on the other. Thank you, Bob, for that poignant story. It brings back memories of my own from when I was that same awkward age. I encourage everyone to check out the resources that Bob offers and the stories and the comedy that he provides at bobstromberg.com. Like us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or click to thestoryblender.com for more information. I hope that you've enjoyed this special episode of The Story Blender. We wish you all the best this year in 2021. 
Stay healthy, stay safe, stay well. And always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend.